Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The U.S. Secret Service has just concluded its investigation into the cocaine discovered at the White House. Their findings, or lack thereof, are drawing mixed reactions from lawmakers. President Biden sounding bullish on Ukraine's chances of beating back Russia. What he says in Finland as he concludes his trip in Europe. A scorching heat wave is blazing across our nation, and it's not just uncomfortable, but potentially dangerous. Over 100 million Americans are under heat alerts. A massive landslide in Los Angeles is tearing houses apart. As the ground continues to shift, residents are becoming increasingly worried about their homes. In California, the Hollywood Actors Union voted for a strike today after negotiations broke down yesterday. The union claims the proposed contract doesn't match the industry's new business model. The U.S. Secret Service announced today it has concluded its investigation into the cocaine that was recently found at the White House, but no suspect was found. NTD's Jack Bradley has reactions from lawmakers on Capitol Hill. The Secret Service has wrapped up its investigation into the recent cocaine discovery at the White House due to a lack of evidence and without a suspect. The cocaine was found inside a package used to temporarily store electronic and personal devices prior to entering the West Wing. The Secret Service said they were unable to retrieve fingerprints from the package nor retrieve a sufficient DNA sample to compare with individuals associated with the incident. Now, Facing the outcome of this investigation, let's hear some reactions from lawmakers on Capitol Hill. They don't know who it is, and they—it's they, a complete failure. I mean, this thing is—is is ridiculous. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's a diversion or not because it's a pretty good diversion. My question to them was: Have they drug tested this list of 500 potential suspects that brought an illegal substance, a drug, cocaine, into the White House? Their answer was no, and that they're unwilling to do so. So uh, I'm satisfied that the Secret Service and the White House are on top of it. You know, I was reading a, a book about Lincoln recently, and um, anybody in Washington could just walk right into Lincoln's White House, go directly in and try to find the president and talk to him. And obviously, we're in a very different security environment than that. Um, but I don't know how many people would want to go to the White House if they were going to be administering a drug test on the way in, which is what some of my colleagues have suggested. I cannot imagine that they don't know whose cocaine it was. You give up a certain amount of privacy when you choose to work in the White House um, and you choose to live in the White House. Uh, you know, the, the public has a right to know. So I don't, I don't get why, why they'd want to close it down. For, for what possible reason would they close it down other than um, they don't want, you know, the, the uh, perpetrator found. With the conclusion of this investigation, the Secret Service says it takes its mission to protect U.S. leaders, facilities and events seriously and it constantly is adapting to the needs of the current and future security environment. The Secret Service says this isn't the first time drugs were found in the White House. Twice in 2022, a small amount of marijuana was found. A spokesperson told the Epic Times it was confiscated and destroyed, but it didn't meet the legal threshold for federal or local charges. However, federal law classifies any possession as a misdemeanor, so it's not clear what the spokesperson meant coming off an eventful NATO summit. President Biden is optimistic about Ukraine's chances of fending off Russia's invasion. NTD's Iris Tau has more on the final day of Biden's trip to Europe. 
Wrapping up his five-day three-country trip to Europe, President Biden on Thursday sought to send a stern message to Moscow. Putin's already lost the war. There is no possibility of him winning the war in Ukraine. He's already lost that war. Before heading back to Washington, President Biden made a stop in Finland, meeting with Nordic leaders and hailing the latest members of the NATO alliance. See both Finland and Sweden are going to add significantly to the strength, security and, uh, and unanimity of NATO. That says Ukraine's membership also came into the spotlight as NATO leaders this week promised to facilitate a path for it to join. Today, a Ukrainian military official confirmed that Ukraine has already received cluster bombs from the U.S. just a week after Washington announced a controversial move. President Biden defending that decision while in Europe and said it would only be supplied temporarily. Reporting by Iris Tau, NTD News. And a massive heat wave is sweeping the nation, affecting over 100 million Americans. These high temperatures are not only uncomfortable, but they can also be dangerous. NTD's Jason Perry brings us the details. Over 100 million people in the United States are under heat wave alerts as of Thursday. Several places across the United States are experiencing higher than normal temperatures, from Florida all the way to California and even Texas, Arizona, and Oklahoma. According to the government website, heat.gov, 109 million people will be affected. Once we start to see the reds and the purples, uh, that's when we start to issue our excessive heat uh, watches and warnings. And in the current heat wave, we do have a lot of major and extreme heat risk. Sean Benedict, a meteorologist at the National Weather Service, explained the situation in Phoenix, which is now at its 13th day in a row with temperatures of 110 degrees and higher. The National Weather Service says that about 27 million people across the country could also face temperatures over 110 degrees in the next week. Benedict's co-worker added this. Yeah, so as this heat builds all across the southwest U.S., we're looking at, you know, potential daily records for high temperatures being broken from California to the west through Arizona all the way into West Texas. The National Weather Service says these regions could see excessive heat continue for the next two weeks. And while the south is dealing with heat, the northeast is still dealing with flooding. Over 13 million Americans from eastern New York State to Boston and western Maine have been under flood watches and warnings. And on Wednesday, the Chicago area reported at least eight tornadoes in northeastern Illinois, causing major flight disruptions. While the United States is dealing with different types of weather conditions, it's important to note that extreme heat is not only uncomfortable, it can also be deadly. According to the CDC, over 600 people die each year from extreme heat. The agency also says that electric fans may offer temporary relief from the heat. When temperatures get in the high 90s, they will not prevent heat-related illness. Instead, one should take regular cold showers or move to air-conditioned places and stay hydrated. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. And the ground is moving and shifting in one Southern California neighborhood. With homes literally being torn apart, neighbors are concerned for their own dwellings. And TD's Christina Corona has more. Due to a significant landslide over the weekend, residents here in the Ranchos Palos Verdes Rolling Hills Estates found themselves compelled to evacuate their homes just in time to prevent the complete collapse of their residence. 
On Wednesday, 17 homes were evacuated due to ongoing incidents of houses collapsing into a canyon in Rolling Hills Estates. In response, city officials declared a local state of emergency on Tuesday night. The report of a landslide initially surfaced Saturday night, resulting in the mandatory evacuation of numerous households along Pear Tree Lane on the Palos Verdes Peninsula. At first, 12 of the homes were red-tagged as unsafe. Then five additional homes were compelled to evacuate due to a ruptured sewer line. Within a span of 24 hours, the ground shifted over 20 feet, leaving a path of destruction. This resulted in collapsed roofs, shattered walls, slanted chimneys, and suspended decks dangling over an adjacent canyon. One anonymous Rolling Hills Estate resident shared with us, When I first bought my house six years ago, they told us we were safe living on this hill. How do I know if my home is safe today? Am I going to have to evacuate next? The cause of the landslide still remains under investigation. Janice Hahn, chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, who represents the area, said, We won't know until a geologist and a soil expert really does a post-op on this and tells us what happened. She goes on to say, But because of that fissure, the initial thinking is that it was because of the heavy rains that we had last year, and all that underground water has caused this, but we don't know. The city of Rolling Hills Estates, along with Janice Hahn's office, announced Wednesday they have teamed up to form a $125,000 fund for the residents affected by the recent land movement on Pear Tree Lane. The grounds continue to shift here in the Rolling Hills Estates, creating an unsettling environment for its residents and the unknowing of what's to come. Christina Corona, NTD News, Ranchos Palos Verdes. Turning our attention now to the 2018 Pittsburgh Synagogue shooting. The jury today found the shooter, Robert Bowers, eligible for the death penalty. 50-year-old Bowers was found guilty last month of all 63 charges for killing 11 worshippers and wounding six others at Pittsburgh's Tree of Life Synagogue in 2018. It was the deadliest attack on Jewish people in the U.S. The jury spent two hours deliberating Bowers' eligibility for the death sentence. The judge had granted the defense's request to split the death penalty trial into three parts, the guilt phase, the eligibility phase, and the sentencing selection phase. In the next phase of the trial, jurors will hear from survivors and loved ones of the victims who will speak on the lasting impact of Bauer's rampage. And it's official. The Actors' Union is on strike against film and TV companies. This is the second time in Hollywood history that actors have joined writers on the picket lines. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. Because the AMPTP remains unwilling to offer a fair deal on key issues essential to protecting the livelihoods of working actors and performers, SAG-AFTRA's national board unanimously voted to issue a strike order against the studios and streamers. The Screen Actors Guild, the union that represents American TV and film actors, announced on Thursday a strike beginning at midnight Friday morning Pacific time. The announcement comes after tense negotiations collapsed Wednesday night. A-list movie and TV actors are expected to join picket lines. Hollywood writers began striking two months ago after contract negotiations broke down. Thursday's move marks the first time in 63 years that Hollywood has two unions on strike simultaneously. In an emotional speech, the president of the Actors Union film and TV star Fran Drescher said this is about greed. I cannot believe it, quite frankly, 
how far apart we are on so many things, how they plead poverty, that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. At the heart of the dispute is the union's contention that the business model has changed, but the contract offered doesn't match the new model. The union is concerned that the current streaming model undercuts actors' income opportunities and says AI technology threatens actors' livelihoods. They want more income as well as safeguards from the technology. The union has suggested that actors withhold their labor until a fair contract is reached. Drescher called on actors to stand in solidarity. Actor Matt Damon said on AP Entertainment that actors would strike to protect those on the margins. 26,000 bucks a year is what you have to make to get your health insurance. And, and there are a lot of people who residual payments are what carry them across that threshold. Some actors join striking writers. Actor Mike Nelson says everybody in the industry is hurting now. Without the actors, you can't film a thing going forward. Um, you can't even promote stuff. Under the strike, actors are unable to film any productions, attend movie premieres, or take part in any press or social media campaigns, which will essentially stop all scripted film and TV production. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Coming up, a panel of lawmakers and religious leaders gather on the House floor, shedding some light on communist China's persecution against faith communities. And a congressman gives an overview of NTD's sister media, The Epic Times, in a speech on the House floor. The speech covers the newspaper's founding and the challenges it's faced over the years. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News. Congress today grilling John Kerry, the former Secretary of State. Kerry is set to travel to China as the U.S. Special Envoy on Climate Change in a few days. Lawmakers want to know what Kerry will do to address pollution caused by China. NTD's parent Arian Pazdar reports. Uh, we're beyond just climate change, frankly. I don't refer to it as that anymore. It is only a massive crisis. Former Secretary of State John Kerry says climate change is getting so bad that it's affecting the life of every single American. Kerry, who now serves as the U.S. Special Envoy on Climate Change, is set to travel to China in a few days. At a Thursday hearing before a House Foreign Affairs subcommittee, multiple lawmakers pointed out that China classifies itself as a developing country at the United Nations. This gives China less climate goals and more financial bonuses. How in the world... Can the second largest economy maintain to you and the rest of the world with a straight face that they are a developing nation, giving them preferential treatment? The congressman called on Kerry to bring China to give up its self-declaration as a developing nation during his trip. Let me just be frank with you. Uh, that's not going to happen in this visit. Uh, it's just not a mechanism or a rationale. It's just not going to happen in this visit. However, Kerry agreed that China shouldn't hold that self-described status. Because of the status, China says it will meet its carbon emission goals only by 2060. The U.S. and other nations are planning to meet them by 2030. Another issue that came up was the structure of Kerry's office and the way it operates. 
You're supposed to document the carbon emissions generated by your trip. Your office has failed to do so. You're supposed to produce an organizational chart of your office. Your office only did so when there was a lawsuit filed and filled in none of the names of the people that work in your office. The congressman then pulled out a chart asking Kerry to tell him who works in his office. You're not going to tell us who's I'm not going to go office. through them by name because that is not the required process of the State Department. Who's the principal deputy for climate in your office? As I just said to you, Mr. Chairman, who's the chief of staff? I am going to go through the normal process. Meanwhile, Democrats at the hearing focused mostly on climate change and how to tackle it in the U.S. How we prepare for the transition to a green economy will have ramifications for all Americans, whether you're rich, whether you're poor. Kerry is set to visit China from Sunday until Tuesday. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Religious suppression in China. Lawmakers are zeroing in on what's actually happening inside the communist regime and how the West is playing along. NTD Sam Wang brings us more from Capitol Hill. Over here on the House floor, lawmakers and religious leaders have shared their testimony on China's persecution against the faith communities. Mike Gallagher, the chairman of the House Select Committee on the CCP, said that Chinese leader Xi Jinping is, quote, playing the role of God. And in churches across Henan province, local CCP officials replaced the Ten Commandments with Xi Jinping quotes, like, thou shalt have no other gods before me, became dictats like, resolutely guard against the infiltration of Western ideology. Gallagher told me that China is imposing what he called transnational repression against the U.S. through its economic influence. Across the board, we've seen the Chinese Communist Party leverage access to their market and their economic power in order to coerce American companies, international companies. Tony Perkins is the former chair of the U.S. Commission for International Religious Freedom. He said that Washington granted China most favored nation status with the intention that it would better the regime's human rights record through trade. But decades later, the opposite happened. He said that U.S. businesses are now complicit in China's human rights abuse and that the victims on the receiving end of such malpractice includes Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, and Falun Gong practitioners. You know, China is actually more repressive today than they were two decades ago, and the reason is simple. They can afford to be, as American consumers fund their repression. So how do we prevent such business malpractice? I spoke with Frederick A. Davey, the vice chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. So these Corporations obviously um, have lobbyists who protect their interests, particularly when it comes to relationship with China. So we need to address the ability of these corporations to lobby the U.S. government not to take the strong stand it can. Religious leaders at the roundtable are calling on Washington to take more robust action against China's totalitarianism. And the way of doing that is to make sure to establish networks to maintain open lines of communication between faith groups in China. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Sam Wong, NTD News. Congressman Ralph Norman gave a speech on the House floor today about NTD's sister media, The Epic Times. He highlighted how the newspaper came into being amid a religious persecution in China and how the paper persisted despite the Chinese regime's campaign to destroy it. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. When John Tang was earning his doctoral degree... In his speech on the House floor today, Congressman Ralph Norman gave an overview of America's fastest-growing newspaper, The Epoch Times, and the challenges it has faced over the years. The Epoch Times first came into being in 2000. 
A year after the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, launched a campaign of persecution in China against the spiritual practice Falun Gong. Just like any other persecution campaign by the CCP, the regime relied on the media it controlled, both the state media and the private media, to demonize <clears throat> and isolate the group. In an attempt to demonize Falun Gong and to justify its persecution, the media played nonstop hate propaganda attacking this peaceful mediation group. John, who had immigrated <clears throat> to the United States, watched from afar in horror as friends were per persecuted for their beliefs. John decided to take action. John Tong, who later became the CEO of the media company, started the Chinese edition of the newspaper in the basement of his home in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. Soon, other like-minded Chinese Americans joined the endeavor to expose the CCP's human rights abuses. Since the newspaper founding, the CCP has waged a non-stop campaign to totally destroy it. The party has threatened the newspaper's advertisers, they have launched incessant cyber attacks on this website and its IT systems, and it threatened relatives of staff members back in China. The English edition of the Epoch Times launched in 2003, and by subscription count, it's grown to be the fourth largest newspaper in the U.S. The Epoch Times prides itself in being independent and serving the interest of the readers. Under the, its slogan, Truth and Tradition, the Epoch Times adheres to the best practices and highest principles of journalism and seeks to highlight the best of humanity to inspire people. The congressman told NTD why he decided to give the speech. Epoch Times represents one word, freedom. Uh, it's found, the way it was founded, um, the way it came into being through adversity, ought to be told to America because we could be the next CCP if we don't tell the story of the Epoch Times. Yanya Kellick, the senior editor and Washington bureau chief of the Epoch Times, says it's incredible to see the story of the newspaper put into the congressional record. I've been thinking about what an amazing journey it has been, and I've been thinking about um, the incredible number of people that were able to serve with free news, with truth and tradition, and it was just incredible to see that validated that, that way. The Epic Times is now published in 22 languages and distributed in 26 countries. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And here, shed light on another piece of the journey and the perils Falun Gong practitioners have endured under communist rule is Terry Marsh, executive director of the Human Rights Law Foundation and a chief attorney for the plaintiffs in a case against an American company, tech giant Cisco, which is facing allegations in court that it's helped the Chinese regime persecute the spiritual group in China. An appeals court has just allowed this case to move forward. In our discussion, I asked Marsh to tell us what's at the heart of this case. Part of the case is about the abuses that, that Falun Gong believers endured in order to protect their religious identity and their faith. Um, the the plaintiffs allege that Cisco systems furthered the abuses through the providing of high-tech Western technology, which the Chinese didn't have at the time, in order to facilitate the abusive conduct. And the, the technology that, that they provided in both designs and 
customer service and training and help with implementation were geared clearly, um, as we allege, to enable Chinese security and 610 officers to track and round up believers. Um, the, the more telling allegation is that the apparatus, and there's a Falun Gong module, the Falun Gong module of the apparatus um, was used to identify, which is a complicated procedure because Falun Gong are all Han and not going to be recognized as ethnically different than other um, Han people in China. So it, it was, the technology was facilitated to identify, first of all, Falun Gong, which was a complicated process, and then round them up um, and apprehend and forcibly convert them, um, which is a form of torture that's used to force people themselves to confess to crimes they've never committed. Um, and one of, one of the Chinese Communist Party's weapons that they use against Falun Gong and, and other dissidents in China. The, um, the, the hope of the, of the plaintiffs, and my hope, is to hold Cisco accountable for enabling the party to perpetrate such horrific conduct against Falun Gong believers of suspected China. and known Falun Gong This adherence. case was first filed more than 10 years ago. Why was the case on appeal? The case was filed in 2011, um, after a few years of investigation and research. And unfortunately, the judge, the district court judge, didn't comprehend the complaint, in my view. So when we finally had our chance to file an appeal, we were operating under a very narrow framework. However, we, we could meet it, because our case alleged that Cisco San Jose had carried out the most important conduct in San Jose, the designs. They designed the entire apparatus in San Jose. And the design is the brain of the apparatus. Um, it's how, how it operates, like central control. Um, and in addition to that, they had a special Cisco team go to China with boots on the ground to help implement it, allegedly, as we allege. Um, they conducted customer service from San Jose, as we allege. They understood the, the functionalities. They understood the technology. They understood the roundups and the apprehension. And they understood ideological conversion through torture, which is, what can I say, um, a pretty horrific crime, um, forcing somebody to say they 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 don't believe in their own religion. They don't they don't believe in their own deeply held religious beliefs. Um, to give up their identity as religious people, um, or suffer 
more torture or perhaps extrajudicial killing. And the panel got it, um, and that's really clear in the opinion, um, and I, I can't thank them enough. Um, the opinion is remarkably strong, remarkably strong. Terry Marsh there, executive director of the Human Rights Law Foundation and a chief attorney for the plaintiffs in this case. Marsh tells me next the defendants can ask the Ninth Circuit or the Supreme Court to further review the matter. Otherwise, the case will return to the trial court, where after a decade, the plaintiffs look forward to the chance to engage in discovery and prove their claims. And we'll keep you updated on that. Coming up, more news on the FTC's alleged harassment of Twitter right after Elon Musk bought it. Lawmakers grilled FTC Chair Lena Khan on this issue today. And Congress is hoping to address soaring drug prices. Four new bipartisan bills in the House are aimed at transparency. How effective would they be? We'll take a look at it in just a moment on NTD News. Welcome back. For those of you joining us now, here's a recap of today's headlines. The Secret Service ends the investigation into cocaine found at the White House without a single suspect. Some lawmakers on Capitol Hill say they are skeptical. President Biden wraps up his trip to Europe with a final stop in Finland. In his speech, he said Russian President Vladimir Putin has already lost the war in Ukraine. Over 100 million Americans are under heat wave alerts from Florida to California. Millions are expected to experience temperatures of over 110 degrees into next week. Hollywood actors will be joining writers in a strike against film and TV companies. This is the first time in 63 years that Hollywood has two unions on strike simultaneously. Lawmakers today grilled FTC Chair Lena Khan over allegations she's been harassing Twitter ever since Elon Musk took over. Musk, in a tweet this morning, said the FTC had gone far beyond its congressional mandate. NTD's Faye Quarter has more. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan grilled FTC Chair Lena Khan on Thursday, accusing her of, quote, harassing Twitter. The FTC issued over 350 requests for information from Twitter. These requests included asking for every communication about Mr. Musk inside the company, and most troubling, for information about Twitter's work with journalists, working to shed light on governments, on the government-driven censorship practices that existed at, and I think in some cases still exist at big tech. Right before the hearing, Twitter asked a federal judge to terminate a previous settlement with the FTC. Twitter said the agency had subjected the firm to a burdensome and vexatious enforcement investigation. The company also said the FTC's investigation was, quote, so infected by bias that it had lost any plausible connection to lawful purpose. Khan said the investigations were over user privacy issues. We're squarely focused on the privacy and security implications of any decisions that may be made. Um, as I noted, Twitter's history with the FTC goes back over a decade where serious security and privacy lapses led to personal information being compromised. In addition to its over 350 requests for information, the FTC ordered Twitter to hire a third-party auditor. Twitter ended up hiring Ernst & Young. 
Jordan said that one Ernst & Young partner, David Roke, felt the FTC was pressuring him. He said in some of the discussions that we were having with the Federal Trade Commission, expectations were being conveyed about what those results should be before we had even begun any procedures. The FTC was so adamant. E, uh, Ernst & Young leaders feared that the FTC would take exception if they chose to withdraw from the case. Elon Musk tweeted that the revelations from the hearing were extremely concerning. He said that, quote, FTC overreach has gone absurdly far beyond the legal mandate granted by Congress. Weaponization of government agencies for censorship and political machinations needs to stop. A quarter, NTD News. It will be much easier to buy birth control pills in the United States from now on. The FDA today approved the first over-the-counter birth control pill. Perigo's once-a-day O-pill will soon be available for purchase without a prescription. Ireland-based Perigo called the FDA's approval a milestone. The drug maker has yet to announce a price for O-pill. Over-the-counter medicines are generally much cheaper than prescriptions, but they typically aren't covered by insurance. Opil is a hormone-based pill, which has been the most common type used in the U.S. since the 1960s. The FDA said that it approved the pill in part because it may reduce the number of unintended pregnancies. Almost half of the roughly 6 million pregnancies in the U.S. each year are unintended, but U.S. birth rates have also plummeted over the past five decades. And more in health news, a House committee just introduced a number of bipartisan bills yesterday aimed at bolstering transparency when it comes to health care pricing while simultaneously lowering costs. Earlier today, I spoke with Dr. Scott Atlas for his thoughts on this and other recent changes to health insurance. Dr. Atlas is a senior fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution and previously advised the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Lawmakers say that opaque rules and shady industry practices have created these sh soaring drug prices. In your view, how bad is the problem and are these bills going to effectively address it? Well, I think it's a great start. Transparency is one of the three keys to bringing down the price of medical care in general, uh, including drugs. Uh, the others are having enough choice for patients to choose from and to have the incentive to save money because competition is what we want and competition is the way that price comes down but quality goes up. So this is a great start. Uh, there's many other things that, that can be done, but there's one I want to address, one negative that was done, which is uh, against consumer choice. And that was to outlaw or to limit short-term limited uh, duration health plans. Because when you have health coverage, that is mandated to include now over 2,200 insurance coverage mandates, that balloons the cost of insurance. And I don't think everybody wants to pay for insurance for things like wigs, acupuncture, in vitro fertilization. So, you know, this is sort of opposite to the transparency. And I think the Biden administration has made a big error in getting rid of these lower cost insurance plans. They call them junk. Uh, coverage. It's not true. What could be done to, to address these issues? Well, we need to make sure that we expand the availability of lower cost coverage that is more tailored to what uh, individuals want for themselves and their families. We want to uh, let people, even more people, use health savings accounts that are larger so that when they have uh, insurance coverage, it's cheaper and they have to pay out of pocket 
they have an incentive to save the money and to seek out higher quality. That's how you get competition in every other good or service in the United States. The people who are the providers, doctors, hospitals, they have to be competing for the patients. The patients are the one, like I said, who suffer the outcomes, not the insurance companies. We need to have the patients in charge of the healthcare dollar. And by the way, the transparency on drugs is great. We need the transparency of doctor prices. Most medical care is elective. People need to be able to see the signs of quality, which are qualifications of doctors or perhaps outcomes, as well as the prices. This is the only good or service that we actually use, if you think about it, without knowing what it costs. That's a bad situation. That is one of the main causes of why medical care in the U.S. is so expensive. Great to hear your insights. As always, Dr. Scott Atlas, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. This just in, the Republican-led House has voted to end a Defense Department policy to fund service members who want to travel out of state for an abortion if they're stationed at a state that doesn't allow the procedure. In a 221 to 213 vote, the proposal was attached to the annual defense bill. The Democratic Senate is expected to object to that. The Pentagon first announced the abortion policy after Roe v. Wade was overturned in 2022. The passage of this provision will likely cause Speaker McCarthy to lose Democratic support, and that could hurt the bill's final passage in the House. Coming up, NBA superstar LeBron James surprisingly hinted at retirement last month. Last night, he made his future plans known. And today is National French Friday. A family-owned shop in California shares with us what makes this dish so iconic. Stay tuned for more after the break. For your sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with a Cinderella story at Wimbledon. That's right, Steph. 24-year-old Marketa Vondrasova is the first unseeded women's player since Billie Jean King back in 1963 to reach the Wimbledon finals. Vondrasova topped fellow unseeded player Elena Svitolina earlier today in straight sets. Now this is actually the second major finals appearance for Vondrosova, who reached the French Open finale in 2019, but she'd struggled at Wimbledon prior to this season with just a 1-4 career record all-time at the All-England Club. Now her opponent in the championship Saturday will be six-seeded Anz Jabour from Tunisia, who's in the finals for the second straight year. And in NBA news, Lakers superstar LeBron James announced last night at the ESPY Awards that he will return for a 21st season. Said James, quote, the day I can't give everything on the floor is the day I'll be done. Lucky for you guys, that day is not today. Now James and his Lakers were eliminated in the Western Conference Finals by the Denver Nuggets, who swept them. Afterwards, James said he would have to think about whether he wanted to continue to play. The 38-year-old has won four MVP awards as well as four NBA titles, and this season passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to become the league's all-time leading scorer. He's also hinted in the past about a desire to play with his sons in the NBA, and though his oldest son Bronny will be a freshman at USC and would be eligible for the 2024 NBA draft, James downplayed those prior comments saying they're on their own basketball journey. 
And in NFL news, the New York Jets have re-signed defensive tackle Quinn Williams to a four-year, $96 million extension. The contract makes him the second highest paid player at his position, behind only the Rams' Aaron Donald, and locks up one of their best players through the 2027 season. Williams was a first-team All-Pro last year as the Jets' defense finished fourth in the NFL in both points and yards allowed per game. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, over to you. Thanks, Dave. And next, how would you like it if your taxi could fly? According to the Federal Aviation Administration, that could start becoming a reality. The FAA has just approved a second flying car for testing. NTD's Jason Blair has that story. Silicon Valley company ASCA has been working on making a flying car a practical reality for the public since 2018. Recently, they have received a few approvals by the FAA, one of the only flying cars to achieve this. Our flying car is the world's first um, uh, flying car to start the type certification process with the FAA. The FAA defines a type certification as approval of the design of the aircraft and all component parts. ASCA is projecting to complete the full certification process and have their car available to the public by 2026. So the vehicle designed for four-seater, it's um, having a 250-mile range of flying. The size of an SUV. So it can be parked in, in a regular parking spaces, it can, it can drive on a regular road, it can charge using the charging stations around us. As I said, it can do vertical takeoff landing from a compact space like helipad. The car is also equipped with a ballistic parachute in case of emergencies. Since 2021, the company has already secured $50 million in pre-orders, and with their recent certifications, they have begun doing flight testing at their facility near the San Francisco Bay Area. Jason Blair, NTD News, California. French fries never seem to go out of style. They may be as simple as potatoes, but they're also simply part of American culture. NTD's David Lamb reports for National French Friday. Living in America, chances are you had more than one type of fries. So tomorrow is National French Friday, and here in Silicon Valley on this street, there's many restaurants that serve fries like Burger King, Denny's, and Chick-fil-A. Now let's take a look at what Americans have to say about this iconic dish. Rosemary and Frank Tamney are regulars at this Santa Clara restaurant and we caught them as a plate of fries were delivered to their table. National French Friday. Happy National French Friday. French fries are a quintessential comfort food in America, served in many ways from straight cut, waffle, curly, and seasoned in garlic. The family-owned Holder's Mission City Grill shows us what's cooking. Garlic fries, they just add cheese and some garlic, and it tastes really good. The garlic fries are my favorite. I like the ranch. This 12-year-old says he always gets fries with his burgers. Bacon burger and fries. You can have a hamburger without french fries, definitely. <laughs> you need some crunchy when you're eating it's a, a hamburger. Match. Yes, yeah, exactly. Very good match. If you order a cheeseburger, you're not going to want a salad, right? French fries, they, ju they just taste better in everything. French fries and like baked potato or potatoes in general. 
Where did French fries come from? Online sources say they originated from Belgium and were later popularized by France. Uh, I first started having French fries a lot when I was in France. And uh, they served them with mayonnaise. Like, we eat them here that way. So it's very tasty. I think American ones are probably a little crisper. His wife says she orders French fries probably once a week. Well, there are a lot of things that you have to avoid if you don't, if you don't want to uh, be unhealthy. But uh, I think that uh, French fries are pretty good, especially if you do them in moderation. Potatoes are important for America. Um, that's a Midwest thing, and uh, um, it's, it's um, uh, nourishing, and it tastes good. And it's something nice to look forward to, and I like it with ketchup or mayonnaise. In Santa Clara, California, David Lamb, NTD News. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.